Psalm chapter 24, uh, just looking at one verse, Psalm 24, verse 1, the psalmist says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. Now flip over to Proverbs chapter 3, just looking at two verses, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, Proverbs 3, verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that your word is alive. It is powerful. We thank you that it still speaks to us today. And Holy Spirit, I pray that in these next few moments together, as we continue in this series, more than leftovers, as we examine and as we begin to unpack what it looks like to give you our very best in very different areas of our life, Lord, I pray today that you would challenge every heart, that you would convict us, Lord, that you would help us to search our hearts deeply and to see what areas in our life are not in alignment with yours and how we can then better align those areas in our life with your hearts. Lord, I pray and I ask that not just as individuals, but also as a church, that, Lord, we would do our very best to give you our best, not our leftovers, not our, not our sloppy seconds, not, not what we don't really want, but, Lord, help us to give you what you deserve, and you deserve our very best, and we want to honor you with that. Holy Spirit, help me to speak not a single word of my own, but only that which comes from you. I pray that you would help me to speak your word with boldness, with passion, with clarity, with simplicity. God, help me to decrease and you to increase and be the focus of our time together, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, I laid the foundation for this series and we learned that God expects and deserves our very best in all areas of our life. And we kind of laid that foundation with the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. We talked about the, the different gifts or the different offerings that both Cain and Abel brought before the Lord. And, and, and the, the offering that Cain brought was rejected by God, but the offering that Abel brought was received or was accepted by God. But we talked about how it wasn't so much about the, the actual offering or the gift. It had more to do with the heart of the person bringing the gift. And, and that really is the focus in Genesis chapter 4. So we're, we're using that kind of as our jump off point over the next three weeks or four weeks. We're going to look at different areas of our life where God expects us and wants us to give him our very best. So today we're going to look at just one area of our life where God wants our very best, and that is our finances. Now, before you tune me out, uh, before you leave, let me address some very important matters just from a very pastoral standpoint, related to money, related to our finances, the church. And I want you to hear your pastor's heart for just a moment. Um, if there is ever a message that I need you to kind of lock in the whole time and maybe not tune out some of the things I say, this is one of those messages. Um, because if you only hear about half of what I say, you may leave mad at me or frustrated with me or misunderstanding what I'm saying. So I want you to, to tune in just for a few moments this morning because I believe this is very important for us to grasp. Now, I know the topic of money inside the church often creates a variety of emotions and reactions for several reasons. 
And let me just address some of those potential reasons. Maybe you've come from a church setting where it seemed like all the pastor did was talk about money and never addressed any other subject in Scripture. And, and I want you to know my heart this morning, that is not my intent at all. And if you've been here for any length of time, you know that to be true. Now, if this is your first Sunday here, uh, you would not probably know that because this is your first Sunday and you've not heard me preach before. But otherwise, if you've been here for any length of time, you know that uh, to, to be true. Now, maybe you've been in a setting before where you've been coerced or know of a church setting where the leadership tried to pressure someone into giving in a manner that wasn't consistent with the scriptures. Though we're going to end with a very specific challenge for each one of us to personally consider at the end of the service today, I want you to know that when it comes to giving, especially the giving of our finances, that is a matter between you and God, not a matter between you and me, your pastor. So there is no attempt, and I want you to hear my heart, there is no attempt at all to shame, to coerce, or to pressure anyone into giving. Actually, Scripture teaches against this. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. It's up on the screen. It says, you must each decide in your hearts, you must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Paul's just making the point that he doesn't want us to give with a reluctant heart. He doesn't want us to give uh, in response to pressure because that is not a heart that is in alignment with the heart of God. And again, this whole series is all about a heart issue, not about what we see kind of on the surface level, but when we dig a little bit deeper, it's all about the heart. It's all about what we want to bring to God and we want to give God our very best. Maybe you've been in, in church leadership before. Maybe you've been on a church board or on staff or simply were a part of a congregation where funds were maybe poorly stewarded, which has created maybe even in you a bitter taste in your mouth related to finances in the church. But let me reassure you, though no church is perfect, our aim is always to steward the resources in a manner that will impact the kingdom of God and in order to do so, we have to have incredible accountability measures in place to ensure that this does indeed take place. And those are measures that we are adamant about taking even here at Glad Tidings. Now, unfortunately, there are churches or Christian ministries, maybe even TV evangelists who have promoted and propagated a false teaching saying things like, if you give more, then you will personally get more. Though there is the biblical principle of sowing and reaping, it's not just about giving just to get personally blessed, but instead it's about giving, trusting God when we give to provide for our needs and to use what we have given to him in faith and out of trust in who he is to advance his kingdom. Now, I also want you to know this. Your pastor is not a fundraiser. I do not like to fundraise. That is not my gift. That is not my calling. That is not something that I enjoy doing. And, and I will tell you this, even as a kid, I hated asking somebody, will you please buy a candy bar off of me? Or will you please buy this chocolate chip cookie dough off of me? Now, some people are great at it, and I don't mind buying those things. But as your pastor, I can tell you that was something I was never good at doing. 
But do know the church and the ministries of the church, they operate, they happen through the faithful giving of God's people. So just because, and I want you to hear this, and I'm really just kind of laying a foundation and kind of giving you my pastoral heart, and then we'll, we'll dive into the text this morning. But just because we are talking about money and finances in this message, please, please understand, this is not the only area related to generosity. Scripture also calls us to be generous with our time. We're going to talk about that next week. He calls us to be generous with our, with our talents, our gifts that God has given to each one of us. We are to be generous. We are to use them to edify the body of Christ, to, to encourage one another. And both of these things will be addressed in later or subsequent messages. So just because I'm talking about the financial piece today does not mean that's the only area of generosity. That's why it's important uh, to not only tune in today, but to hear the rest of the series. Now, I believe this. I believe in teaching the whole counsel of God's word. I read it already, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. I believe in teaching all of God's word. But listen, this cannot be done in just one single message. This is done throughout a longer series or even over the course of several years. You realize there are 66 different books in the Bible. I cannot communicate every principle or every truth or every aspect of the word of God in just one sermon. And so I want you to keep that in mind as we walk through this series. This is just one piece of of a larger message that I believe God wants us to hear when it comes to us giving him our very best. My silence today on the giving of our time and the giving of our talents or gifts is not evidence that your pastor only cares about the giving of our money. Again, I will address the others in later messages. Today's message does have a single focus, and it's a vital focus that is a key part of our relationship with Jesus, and we'll see that here in just a few moments. So because of these reasons mentioned, I often find myself hesitant to even approach the subject of generosity, specifically the area of our finances. But at the same time, I believe we all need to have a biblical, theological foundation of stewardship and know the great joy, and it is a joy, and the wonderful privilege that you and I have to participate in the ministry of giving, to participate in advancing the kingdom of God. Alfred Martin, on, on the subject of biblical stewardship, says this, some church leaders today use emotional, unscriptural, and inappropriate methods in pressuring people to give money to the Lord's work. And as a reaction against that, some sincere godly ministers hesitate even to mention money from the pulpit. Yet the Bible says a lot about money and its place in the Lord's service. So since the Bible addresses the subject of money, I think it's essential that we develop a biblically sound understanding of the subject. 
I don't want to just pick and choose what I want to talk about or not talk about. I believe in teaching the whole counsel of God's word. And God does address this subject on numerous occasions in Scripture. A proper understanding of the stewardship of our finances is needed in our culture and in our churches today. Too many churches actually lack a proper understanding of biblical stewardship. Jesus himself actually addresses the subject of money on several occasions, specifically or sometimes through the use of parables. If you recall in the Gospels, the parable of the rich young ruler. This was through a a parable, but Jesus will address the issue of money or this man who is wealthy keeping him from really being sold out for Christ because he says, I've followed all the commandments. What must I do to be saved? I've done it all. I follow this commandment, that commandment. And he says, I want you to go and sell all of your possessions and give to the poor. And the man walked away sad. He wasn't willing to give everything. He wasn't willing to give God his very best. It's the story of serving two masters. You cannot serve both. So if it is important to Jesus, it should also be important to us. Now, I believe if we have a strong biblical foundation of stewardship, then we will have a deeper trust in Jesus Christ, a more thriving relationship with him and his church, and we will experience the privilege of being his agents in carrying out his mission to reach a lost world. How many long for that? A thriving relationship with Jesus, and we want to be useful and effective in helping to carry out his mission to reach a lost world. So today's single message, and I want you to hear me, cannot answer all the questions related to biblical stewardship, but I believe it will lay a strong foundation for us to build upon. So as your pastor, I would welcome and even encourage you to talk with me even later on if you have additional questions, because I would love to unpack this even further. The focus of this series is learning to give God our very best in all areas of our life, and one area that we sometimes fall short in, or one area that we sometimes want control over, is the area of our finances. We will see today that it's not a surface level issue, but it's more an issue of the heart, an attitude that flows from a heart that needs to be in right relationship with God. And at the conclusion of the message, I'm going to challenge us all, no matter our current level of giving, to consider what more God is calling us to give. And again, this will be between you and God, but we need to learn to trust him. We need to learn to give our all, even when it comes to our finances. And I can promise you that if you adopt a biblical understanding of stewardship, you will experience great joy when you give, you will encounter God's miraculous provision, and you will be an essential piece of God's plan in reaching a world for Jesus. I don't have time to share them, but I can tell you right now, I have story upon story upon story where God has continued to provide as we have been faithful to give faithful to give of our finances, faithful to give of our time, faithful to give of our gifts. And in moments where we think or we thought we weren't going to make it, God provided. And that has happened time after time. And I'm guessing there's many of you sitting here today that have experienced the same provision as you have been faithful to give what God has so generously given to us. So as we take a few moments to focus our attention on the biblical subject of giving, I want to just encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to give you a godly understanding 
of stewardship. For him, not me, to lead us into all truth and for God to convict our hearts and challenge us to trust him in this area of our life. Now, I want you to remember in the story of Cain and Abel, God gladly accepted Abel's offering, but he rejected Cain's because Abel had a heart that gladly gave his very best to God, his all to God, while Cain simply gave God his leftovers. So I want to take just a few moments this morning to examine some very important biblical principles that will help us to live our lives giving, our, giving God our very best when it comes to our finances. Before I jump into point one, let me just simply ask a question. How many are still glad you came this morning? Hopefully most of you. <laughs> All right, now listen in this morning. Number one, whatever we have accumulated on earth belongs to God in the first place. So it only makes sense to give it freely back to the owner. Now, let me unpack this for you. Psalm chapter 24, verse one, we read it in our opening text. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all of its people belong to who? They belong to him. Now, there's a few things that we need to consider in this text. First of all, we need to know that God owns everything, including the financial resources that we have. What we have has been given to us by God in the first place. Now, this is a key starting point, and let me just say this. I've shared this before in, a, in another series several years ago, but if we start in the wrong place, then we will not handle our finances in a godly and biblical manner. Order of operations is important. How many of you are math people out there? How many math people do I have? Okay, when I say order of operations, that means something, right? Okay, so order of, and then the rest of you are like, I know nothing about order of operations, okay? If you have an equation or if you have a math problem that, that has parentheses around part of it, it has exponents, it has um, division and multiplication, addition and subtraction, it's like, okay, so you have this one problem, where do you start? Do you start with the addition? Do you start, you know, on the right-hand side? You know, he, if you read Hebrew, you go from right to left, maybe in math, maybe you're supposed to start on the right side and move to the left. That's not how you do it. All right, I'm not a math whiz. I'm just telling you um, that is not how you solve math problems. But order of operations is all about, um, and my wife gave me this, what is it? Ped, pedmas, ped? PIM does. Okay, so parentheses is the P. It's an acronym. All right, work with me here, okay? The, the acronym uh, P stands for parentheses. The E stands for the exponents. The um, D stands for division, M for multiplication, A for addition, and S for subtraction. It matters. If you do it in any other order, you will get the problem wrong. And the same is true. I only say that not because I want you to know more about math, but I'm telling you that this morning because the same is true when it comes to having a biblical understanding of stewardship. If we, if we miss it here, if we somehow think that we are the owners, if we somehow think that what we have belongs to me before it belongs to God, then I can tell you we're going to mess everything else up. We have to get this starting point right. God owns everything, including our financial resources. God alone is owner of everything. Genesis 14, verse 22, but Abram said to king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and 
earth. Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, God says, for all the earth is whose? Is mine. Psalm 50, verse 10, the psalmist says, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. Haggai chapter 2, verse 8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Everything belongs to God. God is the owner. What we ultimately have belongs to him in the first place. That is, that is a foundational thing that we have to wrestle with and that we have to know. Therefore, what God has entrusted to us in the form of money, he expects us to steward faithfully for his kingdom. He is the owner and he has given us resources and we are to steward those resources in a manner that is faithful to God, that is faithful to the owner of the resources. God has entrusted to our care all sorts of resources. He's given us time and we are to steward our time faithfully for God's kingdom. He's given you gifts, and we are to steward those gifts that he's given to us for the sake of his kingdom. He's given us financial resources that we are to steward faithfully for the kingdom of God. He's given us children that we are to steward faithfully. We are to pour into, we are to invest, and we are to steward the gifts that God has given to us for the kingdom of God. And he expects us to manage those resources in a manner that is congruent with the owner's expectations. Uh, you may be familiar with this parable, parable of the talents. Um, we read in this story that there are three servants who have been given, um, they have been given resources. One was given five talents, one was given two, one was given one. The master went away for a while and, and they were supposed to do something with these resources. The man who had five, he invested them, he used them. Uh, he, he used the resources that the master had given to him. The same with the man who was given two. He invested the resources, uh, the talents that were given to him, and they multiplied. And, and, but the one who had one, what did he do? He buried it. He, he kept it. He hid it. And, and that is not at all what God expects when he gives us resources. He doesn't want us just to hold on to it and keep it for ourselves. He gives us resources to be used for the kingdom of God. So when his resources are stewarded in a biblical manner, God's kingdom is impacted, and we get to experience God's faithful provision. When we give God our best, including in the area of money, God is honored and people are blessed. Paul highlighted this reality when talking about faithful giving inside the church. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, listen, verses 12 and 13. It says, so, so two good things, so two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, Paul says, they will give glory to God. So when we give faithfully unto the Lord, when we use the gifts that God has given to us, the needs of the people are met, and then as a result, when they give praise to God, God is glorified. So when we use the resources, whether it is our finances, whether it is our time or our gifts, when we use them in relationship to God or in relationship to the kingdom of God, needs are being met and God is being glorified. And if you recall from prior series, we exist to do what? We exist to glorify God and to worship him forever. And so when we give, when we steward the resources, even our financial resources, and when we steward them faithfully, God is being glorified. We are fulfilling the purpose that God has created us to live out. So how is my giving of the tithe, the tenth, and even the giving to kingdom builders to the local church, how is that giving back to God? 
Let me just kind of explain that to us this morning. When we give to the local church, whether you give in an offering bag, whether you give with a tithe envelope, whether you give online and whatever means that you give, when you give to the local church, then all the functions of the local church can be faithfully carried out. And what are those functions? It includes discipling believers, including children and teenagers on Wednesday evenings. It offers us opportunities for ministry for people of all ages, to have a place to gather collectively on Sunday morning to lift our voices in song. It allows us to impact our community with the gospel, to support others who are doing gospel work both near and far. And just as they did in the church in Macedonia did, they were able to meet the needs of those around them. So what God has given to us, we are to give back to him And the same is true of the local church. We too, as a church, we steward the resources that God has given to the church. We'll take at least 10% of our general fund and we set that aside aside for missions, for the purpose of, of advancing the kingdom of God, both near and far. So when we give back to the church, we are glorifying God and we are honoring him with our resources. So that first point is vital. And if you don't get it, We cannot go any further, and that is God is the owner of everything. He is owner. We are just managers. We are the stewards of the resources that God has given to us. Number two, when we honor God out of obedience with our financial resources, we position ourselves individually but also corporately to be blessed of God. Let's go to our verse in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the best part of everything you produce, that he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Now, let me say a few things about Proverbs because this is important when we're interpreting what the writer is actually saying. First of all, this is an important distinction when interpreting Proverbs. That is that Proverbs is a book of principles, not a book of promises. This is very important. So when you go to read all of the Proverbs, you need to keep in mind as kind of an interpretive lens when you're reading the scriptures that that Proverbs is full of a bunch of principles, not necessarily a bunch of promises. This is important when we're interpreting the book of Proverbs. It's not a bunch of promises, but it is full of godly and biblical principles. As an example, we'll read in Proverbs things like this, train up a child in the way he should go and they will not depart from it. Now, that is a principle. It's not a promise. Some of us may have children in the room who are wayward sons and daughters who were raised in Christ, but I want you to get the heart of the principle that says train up a child in the way that he should go and they will not depart from it. Here is the, 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 the idea behind the principle. The principle is true. Someone raised in Christ has a much better chance and opportunity to follow Christ even when they've strayed from that relationship versus someone who maybe never has heard the name of Jesus. We've talked about the advantage of the prodigal. One pastor said this, the advantage of the prodigal is that they know the way back home. And so this principle is true. Train up a child in the way that he or she may go and they will not depart from it. If you, if you put the word of God in them, if you pray over them, if you intercede over their lives, it's a whole lot harder. And I can tell you right now, the Holy Spirit will bring conviction in their life in ways that you never thought of, but God will begin to draw them back. Notice the principle then in Proverbs 3, verses nine through 10. If you honor God with your wealth and the best part of your produce, then he will fill your barns and vats will overflow. 
The writer of Proverbs, he highlights the importance of giving God the best or the first fruits, not a later share. He says, if you honor God with your wealth and the best part of your produce, not the leftovers, not the sloppy seconds, not, not what you just have after you've done everything else. He says, if you honor God with your wealth and the best part of your produce, then he will fill your barns and your vats will overflow with wine. Same message is congruent with the teaching of Paul. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Teaching the church in Corinth, he says, on the first day of each week, first day of the week would be Sunday, resurrection day at this point, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. So even Paul is reemphasizing this point of giving God the very best. On the first day of the week, we're to put a put aside a portion of what we've earned, and we are to give it into the Lord. When we give God the best, the first fruits, we in turn honor God and show him that he is more important than our own wealth. When we honor God, then God will show himself as Lord of the harvest. Now remember this, remember we don't just, we don't give just so we can get something in return. But we give our very best to honor God. And when we do this, we are in a much better position to experience, listen, in a much better position to experience the overflow of God's blessings. And what a powerful principle. God actually speaks to Israel through the prophet Malachi regarding a very similar principle and even said to test him in this particular area of giving. Look at what what he will write through the prophet Malachi. He says, you have cheated me of the tithes and the offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. And then listen to what God says. God actually says, put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Don't you want to be in a position to experience the fullness of God's blessings? I certainly do. So God says, test me in this area. Test God in the area of our finances. Number three, how many are still glad that you came this morning? (laughs) Okay, number three, giving is a matter of the heart and a heart that is surrendered to Christ is willing to give their all to Jesus. It is a matter of the heart and a heart that is completely surrendered to Christ is willing to give their all to Jesus. Recall again the story of Cain and Abel, Genesis 4, the two brothers, they brought their gifts to the Lord. Cain brought from the produce from the ground while Abel brought the best portions of the firstborn of his flock. God rejected Cain's offering. He received Abel's offering. But the scripture is silence on God's reasoning why he accepted one and rejected the other. But the conclusion that we draw from the text and from the narrative is that it was not so much about the actual gift that they were bringing, whether it was a, a, of the flock or, or from the produce of the ground, but it had everything to do with the heart behind the offering. It had everything to do with the person who was bringing the gift, not so much about the gift itself. God, God didn't reject Cain's offering because it didn't come from the flock. He didn't receive Abel's offering because it did come from the flock. He accepted one and he rejected the other because there was a heart issue. Cain was coming with a heart that was not sold out to God 
while Abel came to give God his very best. Listen, a heart that is not completely submitted and sold out to Jesus isn't going to give God their very best. Instead, they will likely give God their leftovers. But why? Because oftentimes if our heart is not sold out to Christ, then our desire isn't to please and honor God. Instead, it's to satisfy our own selfish desires. If our heart isn't in alignment with God, then we place more trust in our financial resources than we place in the one who owns all and blessed them with what they have. Heart that is not in alignment with God isn't willing to live life in the faith lane where sometimes the equation doesn't make sense from an earthly perspective, but instead they camp out in kind of this worldly, secular, temporary lane. And I want you to just, I want to make this point this morning. When it comes to the economy of God, the economy of God does not operate like the economy of man. The economy of God operates in a very divine, supernatural way. I mean, think about it. He asks us to give of the first 10% of what we make and to give it to him, and then we have to live on the rest of that. But man's, man's economy is all about we, we need as much as we can get, and we need to save as much as we can save, and we need to live off the totality of that. But God is saying, trust me. Give me 10%. Trust me to then provide in beautiful, wonderful ways as you live up on the other 90%. So what does a heart that is sold out to Jesus look like? Mark chapter 12, I think the best place to go to is this story in Mark 12. And I'm almost done this morning. Verses 41 through 44. So what does a heart that is sold out to Jesus look like? Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and he watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts and a poor widow came. And she dropped in two small coins. Jesus calls, called his disciples and said to him, or to him, and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions, for they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything that she had to live on. And I want you to get the picture here. You know, Jesus is kind of watching from afar as everyone is bringing their money into the storehouse. And what is happening is that it's not dollar bills like we have today. They're bringing coins. And so, and, and they're coming in these like, these big old vessels that, that are, um, going to make noise when you drop money into them. So you have these, these Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they want people to notice. And so they come up to the vessel and they drop in all of their coins. And man, it makes a loud sound. And people who are there in the temple area, they take notice. Look at how much money they have. But then you have this poor little widow. Jesus is watching it all. You have this poor widow who had very little. All she had was two small little coins. When she dropped in her two coins, it did not make a sound. Nobody in the area heard when she put in those two little coins. Not a single person heard a sound. Jesus took notice of her heart. This woman, she gave everything that she had to live on. Heart that is sold out to Jesus is willing to give God our very all. So is your heart surrendered completely to Christ? Are you willing to trust him by giving him your very all? Finally, number four, faithful and consistent giving of God's people is God's primary vehicle of equipping and resourcing the church to reach lost people, to bring transformation to hurting communities, and to prepare people to be sent on mission for Jesus. The faithful giving of God's people is his primary means. Giving to the local church, giving to, to agencies, it is his primary means to bring transformation and to reach a lost world. Paul and his missionary, in, and his missionary efforts, they were made possible 
because of the generous and faithful giving of churches, churches like the church in Macedonia. Look in Philippians 4, verses 15 through 17. As you know, you Philippians, you were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through our, our, through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles. They are very poor, but they are also filled with an abundant joy, which is overflowed in rich generosity. I'm going to stop there. So your faithful and consistent giving makes possible the ministry and kingdom work taking place through this local congregation. I said finally, but I lied. There's number five. <laughs> Let's, I want us to end with this. Let's examine our own hearts and our own financial positions. And let's ask God to stretch us, to strengthen our faith, to trust in him in all areas of our life, including our finances. As a church and as individuals, I want us all to give God our very best because he deserves our best and nothing less. Saying it in song already, he is worthy of it all. He's worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our absolute surrender and devotion. So here's the question. How can we grow in this area of giving God our best when it comes to our finances? Here's what I would like for you to do. And Yvonne, I'm going to go ahead and have you come, if you would. But here's what I would like for us to do. We have a few moments left uh, this morning. But I want us as individuals but also even as households to prayerfully consider participating in what we're just really deeming a 90-day giving challenge where we can put God to the test and discipline ourselves to trust him and give him our very best in this area of our life. There is actually on every other seat, there is a little brochure that just simply says um, a 90-day giving challenge on the front of it. So I want you to take a moment and to grab it. looks just like this, 90-day giving challenge. And I want you to take that. This is for you to keep. But let me take a, just a couple of minutes and still listen in, and let me explain a few things to us. I want to kind of explain how this will work. Everyone should have um, this 90-day giving challenge handout. And this challenge is for everyone. For those who have never given, those who have given some but maybe don't tithe regularly, and even for those who tithe regularly, this is still a challenge that we can all participate in as the Lord stirs our hearts. There's two steps that I want you to prayerfully consider about, and all we're going to do here in the end, we're not going to have you turn in anything. Again, this is between you and God. This is not between you and me, your pastor. I'm not going to ask you, not going to give you a phone call. That's not my business. This is between you and God as the Holy Spirit stirs in your heart and challenges you. I want you to prayerfully consider how you can respond to what he's asking you to do. So step number one, is this, determine how you individually or you as a household will stretch yourself in the area of giving to God. And let me give you a few tidbits with that. Number one, 
start small. If you've never given before or you haven't made tithing a consistent part of your spiritual living, start small. Just a few notes and you'll see these even in this guide just to kind of put things into perspective. You know, specialty coffee is around $5. A large pizza, $15. A nice steak dinner, around $25. Sorry to do that to you at about noon. <laughs> but consider giving up one specialty coffee, one large pizza, or one steak dinner each week or each month and sow that money into the kingdom of God. Giving up one coffee a week can translate into giving $20 a month, which translates into $240 a year, sowing seed into the kingdom of God. This is a good starting place if you've not consistently given before. And as God said through the prophet Malachi, test him, test him in this area. And that's what we're doing. We're gonna test him in that area. Secondly, maybe you've given somewhat regularly, but not at the level of tithing. Then I would challenge you. As the Holy Spirit stirs in your heart, consider tithing at least for the next 90 days and watch God not only provide and meet your needs, but also advance his kingdom. Now, again, the scriptures say we, we should not do it with a reluctant heart. It needs to be with a willful, cheerful, obedient heart. That's what God will honor and bless. It's not some legalistic mentality here of, of giving God a certain amount. It's about giving God our hearts giving him our very best. The word tithe simply means 10th. If you gave me 10 apples and I were to tithe on those 10 apples, I would give you one. That's the idea of the tithe. In tithing, you are simply saying, God, I trust you enough to give you 10% first and I'm going to live on the other 90%. Certainly takes us, positions us in a place to have to trust God. This is certainly not the mentality of the world, but watch God provide. I've heard stories of people really putting God to the test. Some gave God the 90% and they lived on the 10% and they put all their eggs in that basket. But listen, when we tithe, we are to do that before we do anything else, before we pay a bill, before we purchase something at the store, before anything else, it is to be the first fruits because we're saying, God, I'm trusting you to provide. Even if it doesn't make sense in your economy, it may not look like in my budget that I'm going to have enough to pay for this bill, but I'm going to honor you because I love you. I want to devote myself to you. So I'm going to give to you first and God, I'm going to trust you. Even if it's in some odd, unusual way, I'm going to trust you, God, to provide. And guess what? He comes through every single time. If we honor him, give him our very best, give it to him first. Maybe you've given God 5% during this 90-day challenge. Consider giving God your best and stretch yourself and give that 10%. You might have to make some adjustments, maybe live within your means, but it will still be spiritually worth it. And again, inside this guide, this brochure, it describes that a little bit more for you. Finally, maybe you already tithe. You already give 10% faithfully. You've been doing that for years then I would encourage you to live a life of radical generosity. This would be an action above and beyond the normal tithe. We tithe out of obedience to God's word, but giving above the tithe is living a life of radical generosity. Well, what does this look like? This may include stretching yourself in the area of tithing. Maybe you give 12 or 13%. Or consider giving to kingdom builders the above and, the above and beyond tithe fund that is set aside for local and global missions endeavors, both near and far. Our goal for this year for Kingdom Builders is $48,000. This might be a stretch, but I'm believing God. He has provided every single year. 
not only just enough, but he has exceeded our, ex- our expectations. And then step two, once you've determined how much you will stretch yourself in the area of giving for the next 90 days and beyond, I would love for you to share with us stories of how God blesses you, your family, provided for your needs, or even came through in other miraculous ways as you trusted him and gave him your best. I want to celebrate with you. I want God to be glorified through our giving. I want God to be honored and others to hear when we are faithful, when we are obedient to give to God what belongs to him in the first place. He will honor that. He will bless that. And he will use it for his kingdom.